1: Another edition of the Hornets podcast, your daily podcast with all the notes, quotes and daily buzz around your favorite NBA team, the Charlotte Hornets. I'm Sam Farber and it is a pleasure and a privilege to have you with us once again. Another game day edition of the HHC and a lot to talk about. LaMelo Ball made his first start. Is that going to be a continuing trend? What does it mean for the rest of the roster, and particularly some reserves who have come in and had big performances? I'm looking at Malik Monk. We're going to talk about that. Also going to talk about all-star voting and about tonight's game against the Philadelphia 76ers. Round three, Hornets and Sixers. First two rounds didn't go so hot for Buzz City, but we'll see if anything might be changing in terms of the final outcome for tonight's contest help me with all of this he covers the hornets for the charlotte observer and does a spectacular job rick bunnell back here with us on the hornets hivecast rick thanks so much for your time hi how are you i'm doing great it's great to have you back it's great to see you at the arena and looking forward to doing that tonight the hornets Had a big win on the road over Miami. That's three consecutive wins all over playoff teams from a season ago. First time the Hornets have had a three-game win streak against teams who all made the postseason from the previous season since March of 2019. Going into the other day's game against Miami, the storyline – was LaMelo Ball making his first start, but as we exited, it was Malik Monk posting a career high and really being a revelation out there on the floor and in the post-game press conference as well. Give me your thoughts on Malik Monk and what he was able to accomplish down in South Beach.
0: Well, I thought the J.D.'s were uh, dynamic is absolutely what he was. And, you know, it's been a really, really difficult early season for Malik. After the way he played so exceptionally well for about 13 games last February, he goes through the drug suspension. He comes back. I've talked to many people inside the team that said that you know, he came back obviously shaken up by the suspension. I, it, I think it was a very good thing for him. Made him come to terms with a bunch of things. I think he has is worked his butt off. And then, you know, and then he gets... That he has a positive COVID test. And he told me when I spoke to him one-on-one, you know, in December, you know, that really affected him. He lost his grandmother to the, you know, to the disease. And he didn't bounce back physically as quickly as he thought he would. Uh, it's been difficult. He thought he was going to be in the rotation. He wasn't even close to rotation. I think you could argue at one time he was the fifth or sixth wing on this team in Borrego's mind. He has for a lot of reasons, some of them circumstantial of other people getting hurt. He has pushed himself back into the rotation, and he was exceptional last night. Making nine threes in an NBA game is—it puts you in a very small circle of special shooters. Whether it's here next season or someplace else, I got a feeling Malik Monk made himself some money last night.
1: I think absolutely that is the case. And I look at him, and i I, I really don't foresee him – becoming a starter out of you know anything other than absolute necessity at some point this season. But I do think in terms of being that Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford type off the bench, he could absolutely embrace that role, and that's something this team could really use. You, you look at the guys who have come off the bench. I mean, Miles Bridges always brings energy. Whether or not he's going to score 12 to 15 points a night, it's never a given. Caleb Martin's always going to bring defense or any of the martin brothers would but can they score at that level not necessarily consistently or at least they haven't shown it yet malik monk can be that type of player and obviously if Lamelo ball goes into the starting lineup so could either terry rozier or Devonte graham whoever it is that comes down but malik could certainly embrace that role as well and any team would love to have a jamal crawford lou williams type on their squad
0: yes and really keep in mind. If you look at their body of work so far this season, the Hornets' defense, in a relative sense, is, is more reliable than the offense. So it, it, it's a perfectly logical thing for him to have an expanded role. Quite frankly, Sam, I think that he was the most underutilized player of this team. I'm kind of surprised it took as long as it did for him to be playing significant minutes.
1: The other half of this is, you know, part of the reason he got a lot of extended run was Terry Rozier's injury and hopefully he'll be able to come back. He was able to warm up a little bit before the game in Miami, so that that leads you to believe this is hopefully on the shorter end for an injury than the longer. Don't want to speculate too much, but he wasn't exactly in a full cast or anything out there uh, in Miami on the trip. But the other half of it was LaMelo Ball got his first start, and even though the minutes were derailed a bit due to foul trouble, I thought he looked solid out there. He ran the offense well. Looked good with the first team. What were your takeaways from the highly anticipated first start for Lamelo Ball?
0: He downplayed this, the emotional significance of it. But it was interesting that Malik mentioned post game that it, you know, he could tell that Lamelo was nervous. I mean, how could you not be nervous? There's a difference between not ready for the moment and a little bit, you know, fidgety. We all we all are the first time we do something new that we know is significant. The foul trouble, you know, that that comes with time. Um, You know, I think, Sam, if you ask me, you know, two things that veterans really understand about playing NBA basketball that, you know, that rookies can't understand, I would say it's understanding how to ration fouls, you know, what is a good foul versus one that you just didn't need to make, and also the knack for getting to the foul line. You know, that, that terrific game that, that LaMelo had against the Bucks. The thing that I liked best about that game was nine trips to the foul line. Pros learn that you eat in this league by make, you know, by by creating and and making free throws.
1: Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. I say it all the time on the air. The difference between a starter and an all star is roughly seven to eight free throws a game. Because that's where where LeBron James and James Harden and all you know, everyone looks at that James Harden you know rip through move and rolls their eyes. And, ugh, you know he's he's just kind of getting cheap fouls, but that's that's what all stars do. They get fouls. You look at Gordon Hayward, some of his best games, he's not doing the rip-through move, but he knows how to get to the free-throw line, and with LaMelo Ball's length and his, uh, I'll call it a rubberized ability to seemingly bounce off contact and not you know, feel it ever, he's got the potential to be that type of player earning trips to the line.
0: As a matter of fact, when, you know, Mitch Cupcheck uh, is a big believer in getting people stronger. You know, every general manager would like his players to be stronger. But I mean, with Mitch, it's a real priority. And I thought that it was quite interesting when Mitch pointed out that now that Malik has put on like, you know, 20 pounds of bulk and muscle, he can drive through contact in a way that he just would have bounced off before. And that's really important.
1: In terms of the future for the roster, both with Malik, let me put it to you this way. What do you think will have the larger impact on the team's ability to win and make a a playoff run? Is it LaMelo Ball being inserted into the starting lineup at some point or Malik Monk making headway in becoming a permanent part of the rotation?
0: You know, Sam, that's a complex question in the sense that I I think that LaMelo is more important in general to this team's future. But if you're asking me, you know, over the next three months, what would be more important when LaMelo plays or how much of a role Malik has, I'd say how much of a role Malik has. And the way I mean that is, you know, I, I honestly think that, you know, if there's one thing that fans spent an awful lot of time thinking and talking about that at the end of the day really doesn't matter all that much it's who starts the game there's a big difference between having a playing starter minutes and who finishes a close game and who gets who's who gets to, to hear their name called at the beginning of the game i remember cody zeller saying to me this summer just laughing when i asked him you know do you does it matter to you whether you start and he said i honestly think that who starts the game is absolutely the, you know, the most, Overanalyzed thing in basketball, and I couldn't agree with
1: him more. I'm right there with you. He's Rick Bennell. You can read all his work in the Charlotte Observer. Kind enough to join us here once again on the Hornets Hivecast. An invitation, to all you fans. Obviously, an exciting run for the Hornets right now. The buzz is building. Season ticket packages for the 2021-2022 season are available, and you can guarantee your price right now. For more information, call 704 Hornets or visit Hornets.com to live chat with a season ticket representative. He's Rick Bunnell of the Charlotte Observer, kind enough to join us here on the HHC. And Rick, I think I've established here on the Hornets Hivecast that I am absolutely easily baited by two things online. That is all-star rosters as well as rookie ladders. Anytime one of the two is posted, I immediately dive headfirst into it on the podcast. Another one was posted on The Athletic. And i got to review it with you because, once again, Gordon Hayward's been left out, and so I have immediately fell hook, line, and sinker for it. So do you mind going through some All-Star talk with me? Sure, absolutely. Well, I think Gordon Hayward, in my opinion, has played to an All-Star level. And I think the reason I get caught up in this debate is because we look at All-Stars as having a certain status in the league, but we don't always conceptualize how small the roster really is. I mean, there, there's... Very few guys that are able to make a all-star team, let alone several all-star teams that are not exceptional, potentially at some point, Hall of Fame worthy players, because there's a lot of guys who get left, you know, quote unquote, on the cutting room floor who are easily 20 point per game type of players. So I'll ask you this up front. Is Gordon Hayward an all-star in your opinion?
0: Yes, he is. That doesn't mean he will be an all-star, and I'm not saying. Well, let me, let me just back up for a second. You know, there there are two things to keep in mind. The starters get picked primarily by fans as far as the process, and that can create some oddities. You know, there are people who get voted in because, in the fans' up minds, it's as much a popularity contest as necessarily a reward for their you know for their work this season. The way that the NBA traditionally has quote fixed that. Is having the head coaches from each conference pick the seven reserves. One thing to keep in mind about how the coaches do that traditionally, the team's record weighs into that. You know, you have player X and player Y, and player X plays for a team that, you know, is winning, you know, 60% of its games, and player Y, no matter how well he's playing individually, is playing for a team that's winning 30% of its, its games coaches tend to give the nod to the to the player from the team with a winning record keep in mind that isn't an eliminator because we all remember Kemba Walker making all-star teams off rosters that what weren't winning at a good clip but it is harder and I think that that will work against Hayward to some degree but I'll tell you something when you look at his not just his numbers but his the efficiency at which he's putting up those numbers what he's shooting from the field how many trips he's getting to the foul line um his three point percentage i really didn't know because it had been so long since since he had responsibility for being a team's best player just how well he would adjust to it sam if you'd had me on your show right after the signing and you would have said what do you think hayward's season will look like I would not have painted a as rosy a picture as what we're seeing right now. I had a really long conversation with Ron Norad, who comes from a unique perspective on this as a current Hornets assistant, but you know, having played with Gordon at, at Butler, I just thought he made a great point that can't be said enough. What's special about Gordon is his decision making. He said he sizes things up. You know, he was an engineer, uh, engineering major in Butler, and he really looks at the world that way. What Ron said to me that is so important to keep, for fans to keep in mind, his ability to see what the defense is doing and decide what is the best thing next, whether it's a shot, whether it's a pass, whether it's setting a screen. He says you just look back on games and you say to yourself, he always made the right
1: choices for what the team needs. That's no small thing. You, that's hard to find. No doubt about it, Rick. Going back to the All-Star debate specifically, the article that, that got me going most recently, The Athletic put out a list of All-Stars. Here's the people that are not even on their you know, consideration at this point for the list, just to show you how good you have to be to not be considered for an All-Star team. Pascal Siakam, Andre Drummond, Miles Turner, Kyle Lowry, Colin Sexton, Fred Van Vliet, Russell Westbrook. These are some spectacular players, some of whom are having really, really good seasons that are not even on the consideration list to make the All-Star team. But that said, their latest list has Gordon Hayward on the first couple of guys out, along with Nikola Vucevic, who is another guy I think has played for certain at an All-Star level. So you said earlier... It
0: could be a joke if Vuce didn't
1: make it. (laughs) I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. But again, certain players have to get left off to allow for the space for Gordon Hayward to be in. So I, I'm going to read through some of the well, – I'll read through all the guys that they have on their All-Star team, and some are quite obviously going to make it. But you tell me in or out compared to Gordon Hayward. Fair enough? Okay, fair. All right. Kevin Durant. Uh, in. Yeah, I knew that one too. <laughs> Joel Embiid. In. We're getting the easy ones out of the way. Giannis Antetokounmpo, let's say it together. In. <laughs> he he's going. He's going. Bradley Beal, in. Absolutely. James Harden. Uh yes. I agree too. Jalen Brown.
0: Uh, that's the first one where I'd say to you, I don't know. Trey Young. Oh, Gordon. Gordon's been much better for his team than Trey has been for the Hawks.
1: Kyrie Irving.
0: Uh, yes.
1: Yes, yes. Kyrie's in, or yes, Kyrie Hayward's Kyrie, in.
0: Over, Kyrie over Gordon.
1: Jason Tatum.
0: No, uh, there's no. I mean, there's just not enough of a body of work yet.
1: So Tatum.
0: But but it won't make it matter because Jason Tatum will get in. But I I wouldn't put him in over Gordon based on what we know right now.
1: Chris Middleton.
0: Uh, Gordon Hayward,
1: Demana Sabonis.
0: Oh, Sabonis should be in. I, I I might consider him for a starter.
1: Bam Adebayo.
0: Um, tough call. That's a that's a that's a pick your poison. Very close.
1: And last one because they were both on that last two in, and obviously this might be a debate on who the commissioner were to pick. And this is assuming the game even happens, which as of now it was not but Nikola Vucevic who do you put in if it's one spot left and you just said it's a crime if he doesn't get in and i, I tend to agree with you but oh one's a criminal
0: you know that would be i think of everything we've talked about that would be the hardest one if if vuce versus gordon hayward were the you know were the this is the last boat off the titanic um i might have to pick vuce but it would be very very
1: close he's rick banell You can read all his work in the Charlotte Observer, and he's not done yet. We're going to talk about tonight's game against the Philadelphia 76ers, which, of course, we invite you to tune in and watch either on Fox Sports Southeast and the Fox Sports Go app or by tuning in on our flagship station, WFNZ, the Hornets radio network and the Hornets mobile app. Rick Bennell with us today here on the Hornets Hivecast. Rick, it is a game day edition of the HHC Hornets taking on the Philadelphia 76ers. This has not been a good matchup for the Hornets for, I don't know, five years now. They've lost 13 in a row. They've lost twice already this season, neither of which was particularly close. But I feel like the Hornets are a different team from the one that faced Philadelphia about five or six games into the season. What are your thoughts on tonight's matchup?
0: I think the reason that the Sixers have been such a tough out for the Hornets is because the way that they're structured amplifies the Hornets' biggest concerns, which is that size really gives them trouble. The obvious thing to talk about is M B, but beyond that, the, the, the way that Ben Simmons can play downhill, the way that he's like an elite running back in, in, you know, in the NFL, the Hornets don't have a lot to stick on him. It's very difficult. Those guys, you know, like I said, the simplest way to put it is what the, what the Sixers do best is the thing that the Hornets are least equipped to contain. And now that they've got a terrific coach in Doc Rivers, they have figured out how to put those parts together better, a lot better.
1: I would tend to agree with you. It, it just doesn't seem to be a very good matchup for the Hornets. One thing that has changed from the first time they met to now is Cody Zeller is back. And as great as Joel Embiid is, you look at a guy like Zeller and his ability to just make life a bit more difficult for the opposing center. I mean, you go from uh, basically asking someone to bear hug Joel Embiid and force him to earn it at the line to saying, all right, you, you at least have to go through a very strong defensively competent center on the other side.
0: Yeah, um easily the the position of most concern for the Hornets this season has got to be center. Obviously they had a you know they took an immediate tough hit when Cody missed a month with a broken finger. At the end of the day, Cody has played the last four games really well and I would I would fairly say as well as um as he can play. You know, one of the things I like about Cody, and, and it was interesting to hear Borrego and, and Devontae Graham both talk about this the other night, is, you know, his beta isn't really wide. You know what you're getting. Um, he may not have a lot of great games, but he has very, very few poor games. And that has really shown up lately, where he's consistently, you know, floating around double-figure rebounding. But, you know, they've got depth issues at center, and that can only get worse now with P.J washington's sprained foot we don't know how severe that injury is but it's going to be a problem and we certainly saw what it, it did to the rotation the other night when we saw miles bridges and and Caleb martin trying to be this team's you know center and power forward for a short span it'll be interesting what they do about that if i were mitch check, I would be recalling Jalen McDaniels from the G League bubble it would take a day or two for protocols to make him available but I think that they need some insurance right now with these injuries
1: without speculating too much on P.J. Washington we at, at the moment of this taping don't have an update really on on his status so let's you know roll without him as part of the conversation we know the 76ers have some very good guards even beyond Ben Simmons, who is, you know, a freak of a guard being his height and size and speed and everything he brings to the table. The Hornets ability to shoot the three in the last three games has been a revelation. If they can shoot at that level, can it negate some of the advantages the 76ers have in size and in the paint?
0: It can, it, you know, it could allow them to tread water. I think the one thing to keep in mind is I you know, I thought Seth Curry was just a terrific acquisition for that. Because when you have to, you know, draw in the defense weapons in Embiid and Simmons surrounding them with you know with sure bet three point shooting, you know, just create spacing hell. And we saw that the you know, we saw that in those games up in Philadelphia. I the you know, the open looks <laughs> that Seth was was getting and knocking down um, for a while. It was just like, gee, you must really enjoy being out there in this gym all by yourself.
1: It's true. It's true. You know, I think back to those games and, and during that long losing spell for the Hornets, and in a certain respect, it felt like, you know, ah, well, the, the Hornets are just getting unlucky because teams are shooting the three so well, when the reality probably was that, you know, the Hornets have to sacrifice something on the defensive end, and it's always going to be a make-miss league, and if you run into a team that's shooting as hot or hotter than you, you know that's, that's just the way the results are going to go. Do you think that the Hornets' recent run here is a factor of, well, they're just in a hot spell right now offensively, or this truly is a team that is of playoff caliber that has just shown itself to be so with these three consecutive wins?
0: I think what, the one thing we know about the Hornets right now is that um, who they're playing seems to have relatively little effect on whether they win or lose. If you look at the Eastern Conference standings, they have already beaten the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th best records in the league, and they've lost the 11th, 12th, and 13th best records in the league. But I think that they're evolving a little bit, and, and Borrego kind of made that point um, post-game that it's it's complicated in the sense that they had set themselves up early in the season as a their bread and butter was defending people and they've had some problems maintaining that um you know top 10 defense um partially because i think because of their size issues but they're better offensively in the last four or five games than they've been all season um i think that they're figuring out how to strike a balance between those two agendas
1: He's Rick Bunnell of the Charlotte Observer. Make sure you check out his stuff I do every day, and he does a fantastic job. Great interviews, great insights, and kind enough to join us every now and again here on the Hornets Hivecast. Rick, thank you so much for the time. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for having me. And we appreciate all of you tuning in as well. A reminder tonight, Hornets and 76ers, and tomorrow on the podcast, we'll break down the matchup. Till then, for everyone with the Hornets, I'm Sam Farber saying it's been a pleasure and a privilege having you with us, and we'll talk to you again next time right here on the Hornets Hotcast.